Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Steel Target Paint Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Steve Foster. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm having a great day here in Florida. It's still hot, able to shoot, looking for the four to the three-day weekend. Going to get two practices and a match in. How about yourself? You know, I'm just uh, trying to come down off my high from last weekend. It was, uh, it was a crazy weekend, but we plan on shooting the local Griffin-Georgia match, which is, I think, the largest local uh, steel challenge match in the country. So uh, it's been about three months since they've had their, their match. So I'm looking forward to shooting that. Well, Steve, toot your own horn and tell everybody why you're coming down off of that mountain. Yeah, it was pretty cool this weekend, and uh, Rimfire Rifle opened with my Magnum Research uh, Expo. I shot, uh, I believe it's the fastest time that's ever been shot in Steel Challenge history. I shot a 58-42 and set a couple personal bests, but, you know, my goal since the last year's World Speed Shoot was to break 60 seconds in the 8th stage match, and uh, took me, I threw a blog post out there to kind of talk about, you know, goal setting and planning and that type of thing, and, you know, it took me 405 days to do it from when I set my uh, set my plan and uh, started working the plan, but... Man, I'm I'm just so excited. Probably the most special part about it was is I was with my daughter Vanessa. It was her second uh, steel challenge match ever, so that was that was really cool. But no, it was a good time, man. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, Steve, um, I was at PCC Nationals a couple of weeks ago, and uh, first stage. I'm looking. I'm 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 looking at who's on the stage, and 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 our next guest is on the stage, and I'm looking around for him, and I can't find him. But we're going to give everybody a hint who hasn't seen the, uh, the teaser. Uh, he's, a, he's the first ever PCCO World Speed Shooting Championship champion. And he's the only PCC champion in USPSA. So why don't you tell our listeners who it is, Steve? Oh, we've got Max with us. And congratulations, Max. You're coming off a, another big win. That's four nationals in a row for you, huh? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on, Max. You know, um, that lead in there was uh, was interesting because here I was, you know, I was an RO on the on your first stage, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, where's Max? Where's Max? And I'm looking around, and then, and then here comes this, and I've, I know what you look like, but I'd always seen you in a shooting jersey, and you were like in a short sleeve, button-down dress shirt, out there shirt. ready to shoot. You looked <laughs> like you could have easily been cutting my lawn. <laughs> and... Uh, so we wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, uh, well, Steve, go ahead. You would talk to me about a question you want to ask him. So why don't you ask that? Well, uh, you know, and Max, we talked briefly before the podcast. I, I predominantly shoot steel challenge. I've only shot just a little bit of USPSA, but um, you know, I've got my ear to the ground and and watch social media and videos and whatnot. So I definitely know who you are, and as well as some others in USPSA. And I've got a ton of respect for what you do and. You know, you put out some great content, and, and you're always on these forums helping people out. But, man, somebody at your level, you're dominating the, uh, the PCC game in Steel Challenge. I'm sorry, in USPSA. I, I want to hear your viewpoint about sponsorship. Do you have any sponsors, or, or aren't you uh, bogged down with all these uh, logos on jerseys like some of, some of the other folks out there? Uh, well, I guess there's a few ways... Like, or there's a few reasons that go into, like, why I'm not wearing a jersey right now. One of them is uh, I didn't, like, I, I kind of wanted to do a custom design this year, and I work with Icarus, 
and they've been awesome to me. JJ actually recommended or like introduced me to them. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I just didn't get the design done in time. And then, you know, the, the match got delayed because of COVID and I'm like, uh, still unsure about like what logos I want on there. <laughs> so I just kind of put it I off. Gotcha. And, I gotcha. and then you it, may, the, you may you know, have been one of the more comfortable out. people out there though. Cause even though exactly, exactly. the, uh, you know, the, the shirts breathe pretty well, you looked pretty comfortable out there in your short sleeve, uh, yeah, Docker shirt, I think it was. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, I don't know if it's a Costco brand, but it's Jerry. It's like G-E-R-R-Y. Okay. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I got them as plain shirts to kind of use in videos. And uh, I my other options at this time were like a sponsored shirt that's a, you know, a cotton T-shirt. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be a little, like, I'd rather not wear cotton. So these are pretty cool. Yeah. But, the like, one of the main things is that, I, I work with a lot of companies and, and I have companies that support me, but uh, I don't really have any official signed contracts. So gotcha. um, like it, all my support I feel like is, is really genuine and I'm not like a company representative for anyone. So I, I can go out and I can say like, like, Hey, I've, I've had a problem with like this product and I'm trying this out now. And like um, just yesterday I posted a video. I don't actually it might've been two days ago, but of, that the trigger uh, video? Yeah, the CMC trigger yeah. that I, I wanted to try for a while. So I just ordered one. I threw it in a gun just like to see if I got any malfunctions, like how fast I could split with it. And uh, like I'm, I never want to sacrifice being able to do that because I'm like under contract with a company like AR Gold or Hyperfire or something like that, which are awesome triggers. But I want to have the ability to like promote them and like promote what I run, but also, you know, to try other things when they come around. Nice. You know, I think we, uh, as, as we've talked to a number of the, the uh, upper edge shooters, uh, you know, BJ, Casey, Max, um, but the one that we did get a similar answer as yours was uh, Shannon Smith. Um, okay. And, and he said something very similar that, you know, his goal is to run the best equipment that he feels is best for him. And he doesn't want to be tied down to having to run anyone else's because, as you point out, he's under contract or has a deal with them. So, um very interesting. Thank you on that. Yeah, and I, I find, like, once you get to a certain level, it, it's like you don't have to ask for anything. Like, the, like, companies will, they'll want you to run their stuff and they'll support you. And, and as long as, you, like, you genuinely believe that, that, you know, that would be your choice regardless. Like, all the stuff that I run, I would pay for. Like, it would be my selection. Sure. Even if I wasn't getting supported. So, yeah, that's important to me. And that's one of the things that I appreciate following your content over the last, I don't know if it's been about two years or so, is you are, you, you always seem like you're tinkering trying to find the best setup and you were working on, and I think it was, uh, you made it to video 15 on the few days, lit up the nationals and something like that, and stuff going on. But I, I enjoyed watching those videos. I'm not, again, I don't shoot USPSA, but just to hear, you know, somebody of your level talking about different optics, different triggers and different guns and, and those types of things, and I felt it was a very honest and genuine opinion, and that wasn't skewed by some other company because you did have a contract. And so uh, um, I personally appreciate that type of content, which is which is great. Right. Yeah. Thank you. So a couple of years ago, you'd done a, an interview with with Arik, and you talked about at that point um, how one of the biggest pitfalls in PCC is the reliability of the equipment. How do you feel the reliability has come uh, since then? Are you feeling that you're, you're finding 
um, more reliable equipment. I mean, a guy at your caliber, I know you were even talking about on that trigger video how you, you know, you were still getting some trigger freeze, um, but it was a trigger you might use. Um, and I don't oh, know so if anybody else would feel that. It's not a reliability issue. Okay, trigger freeze isn't reliability. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So, so things like feeding and, 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 and such like that. Are you, feeding's are you probably number one. And then there are other trigger issues like failing to reset, which okay. can happen for, for different reasons. Like, um, I, I'm not super sure. I, like, I've been wanting to, um, to kind of cut up a receiver set that I know is failing and then uh, get slow-mo video of what's actually happening, like, on the hammer. Because I, sure. I pretty much guarantee that the bolt is going back far enough to reset it. I think something's happening when, when we go back into battery where the gun, like, you know, the, the bolt smashing in, into the barrel extension, um, like, shakes the gun enough that mm -hmm. I think, like, a, a weaker disconnector engagement somehow, like, lets the hammer slip off. And then the hammer hits the bolt on the first bolt bounce back when it's, like, just slightly out of battery. And so you don't end up getting an out-of-battery detonation, but you get a dead trigger. And occasionally, and I've had it where I do get an out-of-battery detonation on a, basically, like, a slam fire like that. Mm -hmm. So and that's like, I don't know how much detail you want to get into, but I'll, I'll just leave it there. But yeah, that's like an example of the kind of thing that I have a theory of what's going on, but I still don't know. I just kind of know what runs for me. Well, maybe you can get a hold of the slow-mo guys and they can come out with their high-speed cameras and, uh, yeah, I'd love and to. <laughs> get a good video of that. That would be pretty interesting yeah, to see. Cool. I've seen mock-ups of, you know, you know, uh, cartoon type things, you know, uh, animations of, of how, uh, uh, a gun works uh, in that area, but to to see an actual live one, that would be pretty impressive. Yeah, and like you never see a cartoon of like that malfunction happening either. Yes, good point. Right. Yeah, the cartoons always seem to run perfect. I don't get right. it. Right, <laughs> and they're like they're timed awkwardly because the animator, you know, is like doing it's like a robotic animation. <laughs> like it's it's pretty funny. I, I think like you that. saw the same one I saw. <laughs> oh yeah, I've seen a lot of those. <laughs> So Let's back, talk, I wanted to talk a little go bit ahead, about... Go ahead, Steve. Go ahead, Steve. I was, I was just into that trigger freeze thing because it, it looks like, um, <laughs> you know, I watched quite a few of your videos again over the last couple of years, and, man, sometimes when you're double-tapping the target, it's like, man, that thing goes full auto there for a second. Your splits are, what, in that 0 .10, Zero, .11, somewhere in there? That, that is so fast. So how do you, how do you pull the trigger that quick? What, what's the secret? Um, so it, let's, let's see. So the first thing that I'd like to mention is how your gun is tuned as far as like recoil timing. So sure. my gun is, is blocked, uh, as far as the bolt travel. So that's called the mm -hmm. short stroke, right? And right. Yep. Um, what I figured out is like the more I short stroke it, the better it feels as far as recoil. Sure. Like the, the dot moves less and less, but then right, right. you get past a certain point and then it gets... Uh, you start running into all these reliability issues. Like first, which is the trigger? Second, which is, you know, feeding? Like, does the next round have enough time to pop up in the mag? Um, right. That kind of stuff. So, uh, my gun is like, I've always run it right on the edge of reliability as far as like how short can I make the cycle length? And then what that results in also is um, just a faster cycle time. So, when you compare it to a 223 or a normal AR-15, like that bolt has to go back like almost three times as far to actually clear and eject the casing and then pick up the next round um whereas on a nine you know the 
the cartridge is so short that it doesn't even right. come that far. So right. in that sense, like your gun is ready to shoot very, very quickly, especially I'm running like light bullets, so I'll either run 100 or 115 grains right now is right. what I'm liking. And um, that further increases like the bolt speed because it's got more energy. Um, mm -hmm. So like my gun, if, if it was to actually bump fire, I, so I, I, get a, I get accused of bump firing, or not accused, you know, but like people say, oh, oh that was bump fire, right? It's like how am I going to set up now? It almost never is because like if it was bump fire, you literally wouldn't be able to perceive that it was two shots just because it's so fast. Right, um, right. So when I do get the occasional split, it's like less than 10. It's kind of just like a luck thing, like that, like my finger, you know, just moved like 10% faster on that shot. Um, mm -hmm. But just having a gun that, that returns to battery so fast helps a lot in terms of uh, getting your split time down. So it, like on my gun, it's easier for me to shoot a 10 and 11 split than it would be on like a stock full stroke gun, even with the same trigger. Um, right. You're ready before the bolt is, is that what you're saying? Before, um, I mean, before the the gun's back in battery and 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 the uh, and the sh and the trigger's been reset. No, I I think I think I'm still ready after, but I it's like both are shorter, so the gun's back in battery a lot faster, and also I can be ready faster. Gotcha. Yeah, and then um, another thing is like just having your trigger tuned. So you mentioned like uh, you saw my video from one of the 15 days I did that I got through. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. Yeah, so 25%, that's not terrible, I guess. Well, I, my plan is to eventually do, do more videos later, but I couldn't do them all in a row. It's, it's just uh, too much work. <laughs> but, oh, um, it, it's a ton. People don't understand how much time it takes to create that level of content. No, I, I, yeah. I hear you. Yeah, I kind of screwed myself on day four. I was like, yeah, that video took like half the day. Uh, I don't think <laughs> I'm going to be able to do yeah. that again. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, anyway, about trigger tuning, like... Um, you have, you have like your pull weight, which is what everyone talks about. And then right. there are a couple other things which really matter, right? Which is first like your total travel. So like the back and forth travel mm -hmm. from being pulled to being reset completely. And then you also have your reset weight, which is something that like it seems super intuitive as, as like people should talk about it more. But I never really heard about reset weight actually like being defined. Um, maybe right. it is by like some people, but... Uh, like I included that in my video and actually tried to measure it with the spring gauge. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little easier. You just like go slow and watch it uh, harder with an electronic gauge. But um, So like reset weight is super important because you actually don't have to release your finger uh, or the pressure that your trigger finger is applying all the way in order for the trigger to reset. So um, basically like to, to shoot a fast split like that on a hyperfire, say I have a hyperfire that's my ECL, it's pulling like two and a quarter and then like a one and a quarter pound reset. So that means that it takes two and a quarter pounds to um, break the shot. And then if I let off the weight that my trigger finger is applying to one and a quarter pounds, then the, the uh, return spring is going to actually push the hammer forward, even though I'm still applying that one pound of pressure or one and a quarter. Gotcha. Pounds. So the, okay. The reason I can split so fast on a trigger that's tuned well is I only have to like kind of flutter my finger back and forth um, applying a difference of weight that's only about a pound. 
And you can do yeah. that extremely quickly, especially if it's not like uh, centered at zero, if that makes sense. Like it, for me, I think it'd be easier to apply two pounds than one pound than two pounds than one pound than it is to apply one pound and zero pounds and one pound and zero pounds because like you have to completely release your finger to go back to zero, which is like why gotcha. a trigger like the AR Gold, which is a very, very nice feeling trigger, um, trips me up a little bit when I'm used to the hyperfire because the AR Gold has a very low reset force. So it's almost like you have to do everything while the hyperfire almost like pushes you off with a stronger. Ah, uh, I gotcha. So on a normal, like if you picked up a, um, like a GMR or something, just a stock with a, with a decent trigger um, without a short stroke, what type of split would you be looking at, would you say? Is it in that 15-16 range? Uh, just as a point like of, an, place of an, comparison. What's, so say like an average trigger that's not much more than like four and a half pounds, I... I can right. usually be consistent around the 13, 14 mark. And gotcha. Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty small difference. But like a, a GMR with their, like with the JP trigger out of the box, uh, like mm -hmm. I, can, I can split just as fast, like 10s, 11s, but it's, it's less consistent for me. Like it's a very, very fine line of like force to apply in order for me right. to split that fast. And once I have enough time behind the gun, it becomes more natural and my trigger freeze will start to go away. But... Like the the reason that I run a hyperfire is it's like it's so forgiving, as far as, um, you know, like not having trigger freeze, that it it just it almost feels like it shoots doubles by itself. So gotcha. Think it and then it goes off twice. Yeah. No, it makes complete sense. You know, so over the course of a of a nationals, I think this last one we shot was, 175 rounds, something like that. It was close. You know, that's a lot of splits. Um, I think it was 350. I could be wrong. Well, it was only 12 stages. Yeah, 12 stages times over 30 rounds a stage. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm not a math major. My question <laughs> to you is, um, I mean, of course, you're able to do that, and that's something you're able to do, but is... To you, is that as important as, say, you know, a good stage plan and, and, and hits? Like, if you were to give our, our, our listeners a tip, like just one tip um, to say, okay, you're going to start shooting PCC and you want to be good, here's what you need to focus on. What would that be? Um, well, the, that question, like, doesn't exactly make sense, right? But I think what you're asking is, like, what would you focus on first? Fair enough. Right, before you good move point. on. Good point. Okay. So uh, – um, I actually would just point you to what, uh, what day was it that I did? Was it day five? I don't know. No, it's day four. Um, if you type in like day four, Max Mundi maybe on, on YouTube. So that's like a, what I call is a tune up practice session. Um, and it's kind of just like dialing in your grip and stance with the rifle. And that's the, the very first thing I would do. So, um, the goal of that type of practice is to learn like basically what the minimum uh, effort is that you can put into essentially holding the gun correctly and connecting to your body correctly so that you can get perfect dot return under recoil. Right. Um, and, and yeah, in, in that video, I go over like some things that I'm testing and like what kind of pressures I'm applying where. Um, every gun's different. Every, everybody's body's different. So it's something you're going to have to experiment with and, and uh, 
like that's the first thing that I would that I would try like to master essentially is like just put a target out at 25 yards I like to use a, a white piece of paper just an eight and a half by 11 um, it's like that's approximately the size of the target that you want to shoot uh, within the bigger brown target because it's like it covers the A zone and then it goes a little bit outside of the A zone on either edge which is like your acceptable Charlie area um, so yeah just uh, being able to perfectly control your dot and not letting it leave that zone at like 25 yards. That, that's the first thing I would focus on. Nice. And a, and a follow-up on that, and it's something that Steve and, and, and one, uh, one of the shooters he shoots with is on the team, very uh, uh, fast shooter, Steve, uh, or Chris Barrett. And, you know, historically, when a lot of people came into Steel Challenge, um, and in USPSA, there's a lot of, of eye cutting. You're taking your eye off of, off of your sights, getting to the next target and shooting. Is that something you do in PCC, or do you pretty much have that dot in your focus the whole time, and then you're transitioning to target? Or does it matter based on the, uh, the target? Um, so it kind of matters based on how wide your transition is. But one of the things in, in uh, the classes that Lynn and I teach that we really need to hammer into people is that uh, you can actually see more than what you're focused on. And it, it's something that like everyone intuitively knows, but they just don't apply. So in, in competition, I, I'm almost never focused on the dot um, as far as time, right? So it, I'm basically focused on it for a split second, like right before and after I'm calling my shots on a target. Okay. Um, and then otherwise my eyes are, you know, looking for the next thing to do. So if there's a, an array, like you have a steel challenge array, like l let's say it's, it's one where you're not swinging the gun super wide, so like your neck would be breaking off the, the stock, I guess. So like, um, I don't know. Maybe roundabout would roundabout. be a good one for that. Yeah. So you can kind of see all the targets in front of you. So when your eye snaps over to the next target, you know, you still have periphery like around your whole vision and you, and you might not be focused on the dot, but you can still see it move. So like you, when your eyes shift over, you actually don't lose your vision down the site. It's just not in the center of your, of your frame, essentially. So it's kind of like, say you stare off into the distance and you hold your hand up, you know, like you hold your right hand off to the right and you stare off in the distance at some point. Like you can, you can hold up your fingers and you can see your fingers and how much, mm -hmm. like how many fingers you're holding up. So say like I, I hold up my index finger without looking at it, like I'm staring past it straight ahead. I can move my finger around and, and watch how it moves, right? But I'm not actually focused on that as my point of focus. So what we try to get people to realize is that when you're looking at the next point on the target that you want to shoot, you can actually watch your dot and your gun move over in motion. And then that gives you essentially complete information of how fast your gun is being aimed. And then when it gets close to the target, your brain can subconsciously prepare for the moment in time when it's going to be aligned with your point of focus. And then you can actually start timing your trigger pulls so that your trigger pull finishes exactly at that point instead of starts at that point. And this is why we have a four-time champion. <laughs> no, that's really good. Um, I, I appreciate that insight. Um, now, you mentioned Lynn. Who is Lynn? So she's my girlfriend, and we, uh, she's an awesome shooter, too. Um, I met her through shooting. She's actually been shooting longer than I have. Um, but she's from Reno. She's got like some three-gun uh, major championship titles, Area 2 Open Ladies title last year. 
And uh, you probably met her too because she was on our squad with the with the Williams sisters at nationals. Okay. Yeah. So we we've been teaching classes for the last couple years, and and um, yeah, we we're doing uh, pistol classes now. Previously, it's been just PCC because um, that's kind of what I'm known for, I guess. But we have this awesome format coming up, which is um, we're kind of designing a three-day class around a, uh, a local match. So we're going to the range. We're doing like a full day of instruction, which is like modules, like transitions, shooting on the move, like all these things, competition skills that you can directly apply. And then the very next day will be the local match. So we shoot it as a squad and we get coaching or the students get coaching from us. And um, then on day three, we, we've agreed with the ranges to let, um, to let us go back onto the stages that, that we just shot. And so, yeah, so they'll leave them up and they won't tear them down. And then we get to work as a class, like rerunning sections of stages and the, the full stages all day, which is a really unique experience in USPSA because, you know, not like SEAL Challenge where they're the same courses that are set up and you can set them up anywhere. Like you don't really get the opportunity all the time to, to rerun USPSA stages and, and you know, try, try a new skill or try a different plan and see actually what the benefits would be. Oh, yeah, I used to, I don't practice much. I mean, I still shoot USPSA and love it. I don't practice as much as I used to, but when we used to practice it, um, uh, we do the same kind of thing and, and, you know, try to open up our minds to should this be run left to right, right to left, maybe center to left, right, however it was. And you're right, you know, you get one shot at a match to decide what's going to be the way you're going to run it um, in your execution. So that's pretty cool. And the fact that they're getting direct feedback in a match environment um, is, is fantastic. That's, that's a, that's quite a feature. Um, and since you're talking about the training, we'll just give you the plug now. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they're interested in that? So, um, if you're on Instagram, that's, that's a really good way. I'm, I'm pretty active in responding to, to direct messages, but if you're not, you can email, um, max at maxmundi.com. That's M-A-X-A-M-U-N-D-I.com. And then that's my website and you can go there, just maxmundi.com and then it's pretty much just a, a portal to, to sign up for a class. There's not really much content on there right now. So, yeah, we got one coming up in California in Tulare at Rankin Field. And then uh, another one that's actually just a couple weeks out. It's going to be in Chicago area at Aurora Sportsman's Club. And, yeah, and if you're interested in, in bringing us to a location near you, um, just hit me up and, and we'll work something out. Excellent. Thank you. Awesome. Max, how, how, approximately how long have you been shooting for, let's say, competitively? So, let's see. So I'm 26 right now. When I was 20, I discovered, like, what 3-Gun was, and I decided that looked really cool, and I wanted to try it. Um, but I was in college at California at the time, and I couldn't buy a handgun because I wasn't 21 yet. Um, sure. So I, I had an AR-15. Uh, that I never really shot, like maybe a couple times a year. Um, my dad actually got that for me as a Christmas present, probably during um, one of the assault weapon band scares earlier that I didn't really follow. Sure. But my dad was that kind of, you know, like <laughs> yeah. he wasn't really into guns, but he was like, they're going to ban ARs, you know. You need to have I'm going to get my kid one, so, <laughs> so he has one. Heck yeah, love yeah. it. So, um, but yeah, I didn't really do much with it aside from, you know, shooting, you know, groups at the benches a couple times a year and then uh yeah it was years later when i was 20 that um i discovered three gun so uh 
yeah, I, I got a shotgun. I got a CZ 912 <laughs> and um, nice. I started practicing, I guess, like preparing to shoot three gun. And then I got a handgun um, actually like through, through my parents, because in California, you could still do that. Like your parents could buy you a handgun if you're over 18. Um, right. And then I quickly realized that three gun is like really impractical to start with. So I started shooting USPSA. Actually, the first match I ever went to was on my 21st birthday, which was uh, oh. up in Reno at WNPL. And hey. yeah, so I've been shooting for a little over five years. Steve, here's oh, a trivia great. question. What other division in USPSA is Max a grandmaster in? <laughs> I was going to say revolver, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's an obscure one. You know, why, why would he be? With my um, revolver that I got for three gun. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go straight up the middle with production. You got it. Yep. Yeah. So I got. Right, I got a cool. CZ Shadow as as my first handgun ever. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I I luckily had some uh, friends who pointed me in the right direction, and it was kind of an opportunity thing. Like I I was deciding which um, piece of Tupperware I was gonna buy. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like M&P yeah. or XD, like which one's for me? And then um, I think my friends who had already, like they were kind of getting into USPSA and they had already shot IDPA a bit too. Um, mm. They like saw the shadow and they were like, well, that's cool. We want a shadow. And then, so, you know, they told me like, oh, we want this. You should get this. So then I ended up getting it and it turned out to be an awesome decision. Like, but yeah. But I learned Man, how to you, shoot pistol on, on the CZ Shadow, so that was pretty nice. That's awesome. You got a lot, Max, I'm just going to say this. You got a lot better friends than I do because I've got a, <laughs> I got a safe full of misdirection. Yeah, it, 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 it's tough because when, you know, kind of where the line of questioning is, you know, getting started and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it's, it's tough when you, if you don't know anybody that's in the sport that's decent because, you know, some people will start off with, you know, a, a gun that's just, it's not even upgradable, let alone, um, you know, something that could be competitive. And, you know, myself and a couple of uh, folks that are in the industry, mainly on the rimfire side, we've been talking the last week and a half about, and certainly open to, to your ideas, is how do you get more people, whether it's in, in on the Skills Challenge side, we focus a little bit more, than, more on the youth shooters uh, with our team or just in competitions, but how do we, how do, we do a better job getting people into this, uh, into the sport? Mm, that's, that's a tough question. I mean, I've, as far as, um, as far as getting people into it, I, I think, I think you just have to reach out or promote people that have some kind of a presence online because, sure. well, like, uh, the John Wick thing, I think with, with Terran's range too is huge as, as far as like people mm -hmm. kind of seeing regular people go out and train. Um, and yeah. they're like, whoa, like you, you can shoot guns that fast because a lot, like a lot of people were like me, where you know, going to the shooting range for them is like going to a bench with a dude on a megaphone, telling you, you know, to unload and cease fire so people can go pace their targets or whatever. Right, right, right. And and a lot of people aren't even aware of what, like, what action shooting sports are. So I think just you know being active on the internet and and sharing cool things and just you know, keeping a positive attitude is the best, the best way to do that. And then if anyone has questions, you know, like have some resources ready that you can point them to. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. When I started my competitive shooting, I just did air quotes, not that you can see them, but as I started competitive shooting, it did involve a piece of Tupperware, and a buddy of mine's like, hey, man, I, you know, I shoot uh, Glocks, and I said, I'm sorry, you know, because I always was brought up in the household, hey, you got to have a 1911 because that's the gun. And uh, so he took me up, he suckered me up to uh, taking some Tupperware up to this GSSF match, and we shot, yeah. and there was a guy that walked up and was like, man, you're pretty good. It's well, you know, I just started shooting this stuff. He said, oh, you like this? Oh, yeah, it's pretty cool, you know. He said, you got to come down here and uh, shoot some steel down in Griffin, Georgia. I'm like, what is this steel challenge that you speak of? And that bum, Glenn Weber, he runs uh, one of the largest steel challenge, um, both state and local matches in the country. And I've been hooked ever since, man. It's just squeezing that trigger and having that instant gratification, hearing that thing. Well, it took yeah. me a little bit to get there, but you know what I mean? It, it was, uh, it, I, I got hooked, and, and so I've got a thing that uh, anybody that ever wants to go shoot steel challenge, let me know. I'm buying, and then after you, after that, you're, you're hooked, you're done. It's over. So, man, that's, that's, that's cool how you got into it, and those are some uh, good, good tips. Well, let me ask you a little bit more about your training regiment, you know. You've only been doing this for five years, and you've had tons tons of success and what I've seen uh, I'm not a stalker or anything like that but just kind of keeping an eye on yes, he what is. you're posting in forums <laughs> yeah maybe just a little bit you know maybe a fanboying a little bit here but you know it, it's just you're, you're accessible but <laughs> Jeff, Jeff got me all screwed up speaking in my ear about yeah he's talking it's kind of weird but you've only been shooting for like five years so in the last, I don't know if you want to go back like the last 12 months in preparing for this Nationals or if you want to go back 24 months, what does your shooting training schedule look like? You know, how many rounds do you think you're throwing down the range every year? You know, give our listeners some flavor of, of what it takes to prepare or to remain at the top of the game because there are, we talked a little bit before the um, podcast, there's a guy, <laughs> Josh Rowley, there's a guy, a couple of guys out there that are working real hard at, you know, trying to trying to take you down. So how are you, how are you staying on top of your game? What what does that training look like? Um, so I don't really ha like this is a hard question for me to ask whenever I get asked it because I don't really have a, a regular scheduled training regimen or anything. Um, I'm kind of a crammer, so I I treat I treat a, a match like a final, and I just like read the textbook, you know, the two weeks before going into sure. it so um yeah I, basically like if i get started cramming early enough i can make a little progress and actually improve to like be better than where i was before which i think i possibly did a little bit at this nationals but it's hard to tell because like i haven't really been shooting any matches this year because of the whole COVID thing um, right. so I, I was a little out of practice and um not in the best shape right now i'm, I'm like a I need to get, you know, some like regular exercise going because the, by the end of the day in the last couple matches, I, I could tell that my head was like not really where it needed to be. Oh yeah. Me too. Um, me de definitely. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> of course you've got me by 30 <laughs> years. So, uh, yeah, Max, Max Jeff is just old. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as far as round count over the year, like when when I do ramp up the training, I I'll put a lot around sound range, so I, I could be going and shooting every day like 500 rounds, um, and occasionally like you know a thousand rounds a day or something. With PCC, it's really easy to burn burn through a ton of ammo, yeah. and then especially right. when I'm tinkering, 
um, probably a, like a quarter to a third of my round count over the years function testing. Um, and I'd like try to pretend that it's practice, like, oh, I'm going to practice recoil control, and then I'll dump a mag at a seal target. <laughs> so, and it's like, hey, the gun ran. I guess, uh, I guess that's good. How many um, rounds was that? Let me read that to 50 rounds right there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's not where I'd like to be. I, I'd like to have a, a regular training schedule or at least something resembling it. So I'm kind of um, like one of the other things that is that I don't feel like PCC takes all the time available that I have to prep for shooting. Sure. So I'm trying to like fill it with some other things. So the rest of this year, I'm focusing on carry optics and open. I'm going to shoot both of those at USPSA Nationals in October. And then oh, after cool. that, I'm going to go into three gun next year. So I'm, I'll be shooting TAC optics. And um, I'm just going to give that a shot again because I started in it and never really took it too seriously. Um, like never really figured out a lot of things. Like I never really figured out the shotgun before. I just kind of like fumbled my way through it and never really figured out long range rifle, which is I think is probably the most important part of three gun. Um, and now right. I kind of have the resources and support to where uh, I feel like, I, you know, I'm comfortable, like, tackling those problems now. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm still planning on keeping up PCC, and, and the first IPSC World Shoot got pushed back to 2022, but that's, like, the main PCC match that I want to win in the future. Gotcha. Was this, was this uh, national still a, a qualifier for that, Max? Oh, who knows? How doing it? I mean, like, Pistol has a defined process as far yes. as qualifiers and stuff. A, a lot of people are talking about this one being a qualifier, but I, I don't think USBSA has actually released anything for sure. And the world shoot being delayed a year might change things too. So Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think there's going to be enough slots. Like, if, if you want to go, you're going to get a slot. It, mm -hmm. it, the qualification thing is more about being on, on the four-person team. On the team, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's touch base well, back a little bit on uh, on Steel Challenge here. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Steve's the stalker, but I'm the nerd, and I get online and I look at history and 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 I was looking back here, and and back in 2016, uh, you shot this, uh, like I said, the first PCC uh, optic uh, world speed shoot uh, for that division, and you shot an 8210. Do you want to take a guess at where that would have ended up? in 2019, just three years later? Um, well, I, I think I'm cheating because you kind of told me before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> you did, too. You didn't have was, to tell him that, like, Max. <laughs> I, I, was it, I don't remember, though. I think it was like 30-something, like 35, yep. maybe? 31st. 31st. And again, okay. you know, I think, I, think uh, I mean, that just goes to the maturation of the sport, uh, the number of people shooting in it. I mean, in, in 2016 there were nine people shooting that division. And in right. 2019, as I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, there was 112. Yeah. And, you know, and people are uh, finding that gun is fun and, uh, and they can go fast and, and they're getting faster and faster. Um, do you remember what I asked you at nationals? Why, when I said, you know, why don't you shoot much steel anymore? Do you remember what your answer was? No, I have no idea what I your said. Your answer was because <laughs> the kids are too fast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they are, brother. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I actually met Grant for the first time at, um, at the JPPCC Midwest match, which was a couple, a couple weeks before, which I staffed at the end of May. 
Mm-hmm. Or was it the end of May? No, it was the middle, middle of May, right? The week before, yeah. It was like right. May 22nd or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, he, he's a super cool kid. And, and um, I, I won a, I took like a stag rifle off of the table there. And then he had a Vortex rangefinder and I traded him my rifle for his rangefinder, and I have no regrets. I love this rangefinder; it's so cool. I bring it to like nice. my practice sessions, and I'm like, "Yeah, that target's at 17.6 yards." <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it, it has been great to see Grant shoot uh, more USPSA, and I think he came in like what 12th or 13th, something like that, at the national. Um, I mean that. Just from a outsider looking in, that uh, you know the the PCC Nationals was stacked with talent, and and to have Grant play so high, I was, I was really proud of him. That's uh, that's a pretty strong finish. Yeah, and he had, he had a stage win on the on the long stage too, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, by a, a lot. Sixty-five yard <laughs> swinger. <laughs> we heard all about it. Yeah. So what's What's one thing that you wish that somebody would have told you as you were coming up through the game um, that you had to kind of figure out by yourself that could have, you know, outside of the Tupperware CZ shadow thing, is there anything else that you wish somebody would have told you as you, you know, progressed from maybe uh, a master level shooter into the champion yard today? Mm, I I think the, the sponsorship thing and dealing with companies, like I, I've heard, I've heard different approaches to this, like, like, oh, just reach out, you know, like, try and try and build yourself up as, as a, like, an asset to them locally and blah, 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 and, like, offer a little bit and then get a little bit and then build on it. Um, I, that, maybe that works for some people, but for me, uh, I think, um, you know, just, like, just focus on yourself and, and trust that, that support's going to come. Sure. Um, and, yeah, like, make yourself valuable as far as, is like being honest to everyone and, and being open to talk to. Um, that's probably one of the best things I wish I knew from the start so I could, could have just focused on that. But I did get a lot of good advice that I can't say I wish I knew because I did get people telling me that, you know, like, um, like always take care of your equipment first, you know, like make, make sure your equipment runs and, and really like don't kid yourself as far as like, oh, you know, my gun, my gun runs. Oh, yeah, that just happens. Like, I get a stove pipe every once in a while. It's like, you, it, that's okay, but, like, admit to yourself that you don't want to spend that time and effort to figure out what's causing it because it is something and, it, and you can fix it. Um, right. Well, you know, I'm a, a big proponent of, of that, and, um, you know, what I always tell people is is make sure you're cleaning your guns. And cleaning your guns is to me not only ensuring that they're going to be functional but it's also giving you the ability to check over the equipment that you might not normally see check the bolt uh check firing pin springs check your firing pin things of that nature to say are these in top condition because it if they break in practice that's one thing if they break in a match that's uh that's a tough thing to handle right yeah i've i've had that experience a lot to the point where you know i'll pull my firing pin out between every day of shooting. PCCs break firing pins a lot, especially with the hyperfire trigger. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll always check those. And sure enough, like before a major match, it's always in two pieces. So I throw a new wow. one in there. <laughs> um, wow. I mean, like, yeah, they, they still run in two pieces for a little bit, which is sure, kind of nice. Sure. They just hit each other in line. So, um, but yeah, I, I actually, uh, at a match in December, it was at a... Um, 
at a night match, the Vision X night match up in, up in Seattle area at Paul Bunyan. I went up just kind of to have a fun match, like half, half at night, half during the day. And the first stage, I get up there, and I check my firing pin. I'm like, yeah, we're good to go. And my firing pin spring, which I didn't replace, broke, and it wasn't pushing the firing pin back far enough for the hammer to hit it. So I would have to get lucky where, like, my, my firing pin, you know, was, like, hanging out just enough that the hammer actually had some contact on it. And it was, like, one every, of every four rounds. So I was, like, racking out live rounds, going click, no bang, click, no bang, click, no bang, then click, bang. Yay, I got him. So that actually ended up costing me the match there, and I got second. <laughs> so, yeah. You, you, you turned wow. it into a bolt-action PCC almost. <laughs> yeah, a bolt-action PCC that fires every four or five rounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Do, do, you, run the, do you run your, um, you know, your competition gun in practice or vice versa, or you just use one gun? Because I know there's more and more people who say, well, this is going to be my practice gun, and this is going to be my competition gun. Do you do that, or you just run the same same setup and make sure you get it taken care of? So in in pistols, I I see that being a like much more viable strategy. But in, in PCC, I I don't think it's really necessary if you, like if you're comfortable working on your gun. So I have sure. spare parts that I bring. Like every major part that can break, I have a spare that I bring to the match. So I'll have a spare trigger. I'll have a spare buffer. I'll have a spare mm -hmm. bolt, uh, which is on my belt actually on stages, and then spare optic. Uh, aside from that, mm. like, everything else is um, pretty solid. Like, you're, you're not going to have, I mean, <laughs> knock on wood, you're not going to have, like, a barrel split in half. <laughs> right, 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 right. Or anything crazy happening with your receivers or something like that. So uh, I don't find it necessary to bring a whole backup gun or have a whole backup gun, but I will replace parts cool. on, my, on my match gun, like, pretty frequently just to make sure that... Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I know we're kind of winding down on time, and, and typically the question that I like to ask folks that come on the podcast is, what's one question that you don't get asked nearly enough about that you really want to answer? Hmm. That's, can we talk about something else? And I'll let that, or like let think that about percolate that for a, for a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Max, you should see Jeff this one time down in Florida. I got into his van. It was a long story. It was actually almost 12 months ago. You know where I'm going with this, Jeff. I do. And, and, and Max, I get in his van, and he takes it to and from the gun range. It has all of his targets in it. And I sit in the passenger seat, and I look up. Here's a hat with blonde hair like a wig. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sat there. I looked at him like, do I even want to know? All right. It was a joke time? given to me because I <laughs> shaved my head bald, and somebody said, well, here, if you ever need hair, here's a hat for you. And I looked like a surfer dude with a ball cap when I would put that on. It wasn't creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I might have something, actually. All right, let's okay. go. Uh, cool. You're, you're like, thank God, I don't, I'm out of <laughs> stories. <laughs> We're out of quippy <laughs> stories now. So please, oh, man, man this, this is a G-rated show. This is a G-rated show. I can go on for hours. <laughs> um, so I think, I think one thing that I haven't heard got talked about or get talked about too much is, um, like, why is shooting such an attractive sport to pursue? And okay. Great question. So I think it, it fits, like, in this really cool area where, you know, like, achieving success in shooting gives you kind of the 
perfect level of um like i don't, I don't really want to say fame but like notoriety and influence like within um within like the larger community uh so it's really cool like within the shooting community you know like people start to to know you and recognize you and and it's really easy to make friends and meet people and um but then you know you're not like followed by well i guess like some people stalk you <laughs> like you said you, <laughs> <laughs> you like, are when, welcome <laughs> uh it, yeah duncan klein that's the first thing he said to me he's like hi i'm duncan klein i stalk you on instagram <laughs> but, when we first met but yeah um you know but once you leave the range like you're just a normal person like everyone else and then uh the other really cool thing is like the major competitions in the world pretty much are open like open registration and mm -hmm, yeah. i guess ipsic has some kind of qualifier system but you know like our national championships are open and and you can shoot with the best in the world and they're really accessible which is really cool. Yeah. And then I think another thing about it is like once you get to a high level, like you have all these options um, for like what you can do with your skills within the shooting community. So like I obviously like something that most uh, most people do is they go to instruct, which like I, mm -hmm. me and Lynn have started doing over the last couple of years. And, and um, I started out at TPC teaching with Ron Avery and, and, the Nelsons and a bunch of other awesome people. Um, and that's kind of where I learned to teach, but like just having, like having the opportunity to, to, you know, go into like making, making these cool niche products for, uh, for competition shooters or like just making high end guns in general or, or, you know, writing books that are for like, for dry fire or for competition skills. Um, I think it's really cool. It's it's all like the whole shooting community is almost like a micro environment where you can you have all these options to do whatever you want, but it, it's like it doesn't come with the negatives that come from doing that. I guess in like in normal life um, yeah. or like on a much bigger scale. Well, you know, it normally gets mentioned every uh, episode, so I'll mention it here. Steve actually has a home range, and. Um, <laughs> And so he does a lot of training. I have access to a range, and um, and I do some training with a lot of juniors. And and I have to admit, some of that is is you know the most rewarding uh, work I've done. When you see somebody and you're able to help them get better, and see them progress, um, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. So I, I completely agree with you uh, with regards to training and, and enjoying doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Like you're you're just, you're able to make such a difference in in other people's lives, even though it's just like this silly game that we play. You know, <laughs> I'm really glad you put it that way because I say it all the time. You know, this is a hobby. This is a game. This is a sport. Um, there are very few who are making their living from it. Um, a lot of people can make a living ancillarily through it, i.e., doing training. Um, or working for a, a gun manufacturer uh, or doing that, but they still have, you know, for someone who's, you know, I always talk about Shane Coley. Um, he's another one that we've been working on trying to get on, and he's agreed to it. We just got to find the right time. He's a Glock employee. Right. You know, and, um, you know, Rob Latham is a Springfield Armory employee. Um, and so, you know, there are very few 
that are out there actually making living just because of their shooting, but they can make a living ancillarily because of their shooting. Um, and so I always try to stress that because I always joke about the fact that I'm part of the steel target paint team and have a lot of logos and very proud to wear those logos. But I always joke about the fact that most of the, the people out there are, we're just walking billboards with discount codes. Right. Yeah. That's you know, pretty and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, in fact, I, I'm, I'm proud to represent the companies that are on the shirt. But if you think we're getting paychecks from these companies to shoot, there are very few that are actually getting that done. Speak for yourself, Jeff. <laughs> hey, Steve, you're, you're lucky. I'm not. <laughs> like I said, well, I'm, a, I'm a computer nerd. That's that, 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 if you ask me who my sponsor is, it's, uh, it's Quotient Technologies. Um, they're the ones that are helping me get to all the matches. You know, one of my jokes, Max, has always been I'm going I'm to get a shooting shirt made and I'm going to have a picture of my wallet on the back of it. It's going to say my sponsor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be my mom for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much anymore, but definitely when I started. Oh, yeah. Well, fantastic. Sure. Well, Max, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, you know, I approached you at the Nationals. You were very open to the idea. Um, we were able to get connected, and uh, I really uh, appreciate you spending the time and talking with us and, and sharing some of your insights with our listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, we appreciate it. All right, Jeff, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, man. Sounds good. Have a good one, Steve.